0: this is the virgin radio pridecast
1: hello again and welcome back to the virgin radio pridecast with me shivani Darve. alex i think you might be on mute mate
2: oh no shiv did you did you not get the memo alex isn't feeling too good today so i'm stepping in for this week who are you i'm felix i'm your producer we speak pretty much every day
1: Ah, you're the guy who I've blocked on WhatsApp.
2: (laughs) That's me, yeah. And by the way, before we start, we both want to send Alex all of our love and he should be back next week. So you've only got to put up with me for this week, Shiv.
1: Thank God for that. In the meantime, it was Trans Day of Visibility last week and we're celebrating with a couple of special episodes of the Pridecast all about the experiences of the trans community here in the UK.
2: But first of all, Shivani, in the words of Alex Milson, how was your week?
1: I do like it when he checks in and you know what? You're not, you're not a bad second fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, it's been a crazy week. So yeah. much has happened. Um, Getting really nerdy in industry about it. There was the Arias, which is quote unquote, the Oscars of radio. Very true. Um, And here at Virgin Radio, we did really well with that actually.
2: We did indeed. Do you want to do one and I'll do one?
1: I'll do one. Um, <laughs> Here at the Virgin Radio Pridecast, it's all about continuing the conversations that we had on Virgin Radio Pride over the summer of 2021. And nominated for Best Factual Single Programme was Steve Denyer's Pain of Pulse documentary that was produced by Audio Always.
2: And another massive supporter of Virgin Radio Pride was, of course, Chris Evans. so very good news to say that he was nominated. The Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky was nominated for Best Music Breakfast Show
1: and we love to see it we we do lo- it's been a great virgin radio week but outside of that so much has happened and yeah. it's been a week with a capital w
2: it feels like every time that you turn on the news or even go on twitter i was sat at one point just refreshing the kind of the feed of everything that's been going on and it's it's really overwhelming actually
1: Yeah, so to catch everybody up, um, there's been a lot of discussion about conversion therapy in the last week. And that is because after promising in 2018 to ban conversion therapy, then in 2021 December time, um, issuing a consultation on the topic, the government sort of said that they were going to not ban conversion therapy and that caused massive outrage. And then they backtracked a little bit and said that they're going to ban gay conversion therapy, not trans conversion therapy.
2: I think the the only kind of positive that I can take out of this, and it was the thing that was sort of comforting me while I was scrolling through Twitter, is that it is very much LGBT that you see. There's not much LGB going on in terms of all the charities, which is really, really nice. You know, it's that kind of thing of if you're not going to look out for all of us, then you're not really looking out for for any one of us. But I think that's the only positive I can take from this.
1: I totally agree. I think, um, I think, you know, we've seen in the media that people have been trying to separate LGB rights from trans rights. And there is definitely a sense within what's been happening in the last seven days, it's only been seven days, so much has happened. um, There's a real sense that we are one whole community that there is no lgb without the t and that if you're banning conversion therapy for gay people you also need to ban it for trans people because gay conversion therapy is an abhorrent practice and people have been campaigning for ages to get that banned and um there is there is a stance that some people could take that says well at least it's better than no ban altogether. But in fact, it seems like the activist groups, the campaigning groups, the charities, all of the sort of leaders when it comes to pushing for LGBTQ plus rights in this country have said, no, we're not taking this at a half measure. And I think that's so comforting.
2: No, absolutely. And that word abhorrent that you use, I think, is a really interesting one, because I think the Prime Minister used it himself in an interview. And it's I just think if you understand that one side of conversion therapy is abhorrent, then how can you sit there and let the other side of it still happen? It it baffles me. It honestly does.
1: Yeah, I think some of that feeds into the rise in anti-trans discourse, which we spoke about last week, Mm. and we heard a lot about it from the actor Jake Graff.
2: So let's hear from Jake again, shall we? This time talking about how it feels to live as a trans person at the moment with all of that discourse and debate swirling around in the background.
3: Recently, things have been tough. I won't lie, you know, previously I've always said, oh, we've had so much positivity and our documentary got vast amounts of positivity, which was wonderful. We screened in Israel last week and in the Netherlands. And again, lots of outpourings of love. However, online we have seen a lot more hate than we have seen previously. You know, we've had well, some awful things said, even about our daughter, which I won't even go into now because it's just too horrific. But I know that all of our friends within the trans community are attacked pretty much daily. A- woe beside anyone who's trans and on Twitter, because it's almost like, you know, people think that it's, it's OK to pile on. And if you're trans and you're a woman, if you're trans and you're of colour, even more so. I mean, some of the horrors that you see. So, yes, it is getting worse. It does feel quite scary at the moment. And, and as I say, we, we really need to kind of, you know, look at the fact that even our, one of the biggest LGBT charities in the UK, in fact, the biggest LGBT charity in the UK, Stonewall, is now getting piled upon and attacked and losing a lot of its support because it's trans-inclusive, which, I mean, really must make you think, how on earth have we got here where we're in this place of such division?
2: I think that Twitter kind of online thing, it's something that you spoke about last week, wasn't it, Shiv, with with Stephanie Fuller. And I mean, I'm not a trans person, but I see it every single day. I think it's almost as if people kind of log on to Twitter and, th- and they see that there's a debate going on and people are so frightened not to have a stake in that debate and not to have an opinion that they will say things that they, A, don't really believe and B, don't know very much about at all. And I think in quite a lot of cases that that is where a lot of this anti-trans discourse that Jake is talking about comes from.
1: I think you're 100% right. I think people want to be seen as relevant and part of every single conversation. And this is a conversation that's happening and people who know nothing feel like they are experts because they have Google. Um, and I think social media is, is largely to blame for this because social media companies generate money from these kinds of culture wars or debates or whatever you want to call them people have extreme views that gets lots of interaction that means there's more adverts on those posts and the social media companies can make more money and while it's all well and good that twitter and facebook and instagram are all saying let's ban hate speech and no bullying blah 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 i would really like to see how that comes into action
2: and i think it's fine to kind of have these opinions and for social media companies to be profiting off of things that kind of are there to be profited off you know celebrity culture pop (laughs) pop culture no you can anyone can have an opinion on on lady gaga because you know that's something that you can have an opinion on but these are people's lives it's i don't think it's really up for debate in the way that people are debating it and you know it's not a choice to be trans it's 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 a, it's an argument again, but it's it's slightly a choice to put yourself out there if you want to be a big name on Twitter. But these aren't celebrities. These are just normal people that are trying to live their lives. And that's what kind of upsets me about this.
1: But I think, I think you mentioned Lady Gaga and I think there is an element there that, yes, you can have an opinion on whether or not you like her music and I will either agree with you or disagree with you and we can have a spirited debate about that. But that's <laughs> one thing. But I think... When it comes to people who are trolls, who are trying to... I don't even know what they're trying to do. They're trying to do something, apparently. And a lot of the time, it does become personal. And whether that person is a random person on the street who happens to have a Twitter account that says that they're trans and proud, or if that person is Lady Gaga... It's really important to remember that there is a person behind that. I think what Jake was saying, though, about being trolled online, it is kind of just a thing that a lot of trans people, visible trans people, um, are are kind of getting more and more used to. Unfortunately, we shouldn't have to, but we are. And I don't think it shocks or really surprises me anymore. Um, I try to be quite private about my life online, um, so I don't tend to talk about my friends or my family or identify them um, when I'm when I'm on Twitter or Instagram. But I can see how Jake is, is really proud of wanting to share uh, stories about his daughter. And I can see how, unfortunately, that then escalates into his family being harassed as well.
2: And that was the thing for me that was just completely unforgivable about it. I mean, in any kind of debate online there are a lot of trolls even who will draw the line at kind of targeting children so i think that is the that's very much the lowest of the low to come for a a child who doesn't even have a stake in any of
1: this and also jake's kid is so cute
2: exactly what are you playing at
1: it's just rude it's just who raised you (laughs) um yeah but i mean like this this podcast isn't necessarily always about sharing my opinions it's about you know Taking what we've heard and learning from those things, which is why I find it really interesting to hear from Jake about how the onslaught of anti-trans debate and discussion is affecting the lives of, of really visible trans people, but also people who are not necessarily campaigners or activists in the same way.
2: But what about the smaller elements of day-to-day life? Are these any different or more difficult for members of the trans community?
1: One such aspect of life. I don't know if you'd say it's a smaller element, but it's (laughs) slightly different. We've spoken about it on the podcast before, and it is dating.
2: And author Juno Dawson spoke to Matt Cain for his Sunday roast on Virgin Radio Pride, all about dating
4: as a trans woman. Let's have a listen. Looking back with a bit of hindsight, and it is and I know it's it's become incredibly kind of worn advice. but if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you gonna love somebody else? <laughs> and I was basically selling myself short and I think I allowed myself to be in relationships with with men who were not treating me properly and actually, two things happened one i transitioned and two i went into my 30s and i took everything i had learned from my 20s and applied it to my love life and and so i basically set my standards higher and i didn't i basically vetted out some dreadful men and and you know when i started dating as Juno, you know i I came up against some really dreadful partners and some some of whom were borderline abusive and I was just like, absolutely not. And and I started kind of setting trials for prospective dates. You know, like w- would you are you prepared to date a trans woman in a brightly lit public place? You know, I, I became much more rigorous in my vetting process. And, you know, as Juno, I dated two or three really great guys actually, some really, really nice guys um one guy I, I won't say his name I wrote about him a lot in the gender games but one guy it was just too soon in my transition and I had a lot of work to do on myself before I could really commit to somebody but then by the time I met Max I'd been out as trans for about I'm guessing five years and I was ready and he was ready and and the rest is history
1: I think unfortunately selling yourself short is something that does not just apply to trans people. There's so many awful things about the dating scene that lots of people, um, no matter how great they are, sell themselves short. Um, But as a trans person, there are elements to, I think, try and protect yourself. That means that you sell yourself short a little bit.
2: No, definitely. And I mean, it's a much smaller kind of thing I think but I I see myself kind of selling myself short and and not not thinking that I kind of deserve someone that I do deserve I don't know if you get the same thing Shiv because
1: no I have a huge ego (laughs) because
2: you do kind of want to protect yourself and I think you've been brought up with this mindset that you are different and that you are not kind of worthy of of normal things and I mean it's definitely important to be realistic I am not going to marry an international rugby player, I don't think. Um, you never know. Miracles could happen if anyone wants to set me up with one, great. But, I mean, no one deserves the sort of abuse that that Juno describes in, in that clip, I don't think.
1: Yeah, and I think it is this element that you touched on of being slightly different, whether that's difference because you've got a disability or you're a person of colour or you're gay or you're trans, you are sort of almost conditioned by society to believe that it's rare or it's exceptional in a scenario where somebody would love you for who you are or would accept you for who you are because you're not this quote-unquote norm and there's so much to unpack there to do with ableism and racism and, and transphobia and homophobia but we don't have time for all of that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of just a product of the society that we're living in, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, and I mean, on the flip side of that, I remember this episode of Sunday Roast. It was one of my favourites. And and Juno talked about having to weed out the men who were kind of experimenting with her. So that's that's a whole other kind of aspect of this. It's not just that you deserve that, that realistic love. It's that you you really don't deserve people to be messing around with you. You're not kind of a crash test dummy for people. And that's just another layer that I've never really thought about before. And I don't think you have to think about in in kind of cis or or straight dating very much.
1: I think, again, it's coming back to that other. If you are in any sort of um, minority group or category, you have a certain element of being wary that your identity and who you are is not, Something that is being fetishized, and that's a real issue within the trans community, particularly for trans women um and there are all sorts of different elements and and I know people who are trans who disclose that they're trans on their dating profiles or who don't disclose that they're trans at all and this whole element of disclosure is another thing entirely separate from the fetishization stuff that is all about your safety and protecting yourself because if you go on a date with somebody and they know you're trans, are they going to flip out? That's a whole concern that you don't have unless you're a trans person.
2: Yeah, no, I'd, to be honest, before I'd heard that clip from Juno, I don't think I'd ever really thought about that. I've never really worried for my safety on a date. It's just, it's, it's a massive thing to think about. And then even kind of less serious than that, but still really important is the fact that have to vet every single potential date is just such a task like the, it's so rare to find someone that you connect with when it is for me anyway i don't know <laughs> i don't know about other people but as gino said it's not just about whether they're happy to date a trans person it's whether they're happy to be together in public to hold hands to do pda so again there's even more layers that you just don't have to consider if you're not in that situation
1: it's such an interesting thing particularly around the disclosure element because For a lot of people transition can be a medical process and it's a weird thing to say to somebody particularly on a first date or before even going on that first date oh a year ago by the way just so you know I had a colonoscopy like you wouldn't you wouldn't say oh I had a kidney stone like you don't tend to mention your medical procedures on a first date or in the early stages of dating but when it comes to transition there are all of these expectations on what you should or you shouldn't be disclosing to someone you hardly know, to someone who you have no idea how they're going to react. And I guess that's why it's important to do the vetting for, for women like Juno, because there can be disastrous consequences if that doesn't happen. But to like focus on the happy stuff, steering you know, swerving away from all of that doom and gloom. It's so lovely to hear that Juno is in a happy relationship with Max. And when you think about it, it's not that shocking that she had to go through so many trials dating as a trans woman, but it is so disheartening.
2: Absolutely. And another couple who spoke on Virgin Radio Pride about trans relationships were Amanda and Thea. Let's have a listen to how Amanda had to think about her own sexuality after Thea came out.
5: I think I was thinking about it and realizing that that it could be really difficult. It could be really challenging. And I, you know, mm. we've read stories of people where when their partner comes out as non-binary or transgender, it just breaks up the relationship because they yep. can't cope with it. And it was never a question for me. It was never a doubt in my mind. I was just like, I love Thea. I love her completely. I can't imagine being without her. She isn't changing. She's changing the way that she expresses herself. Mm but she's still the same person that I fell in love with. Uh, and that then made me think, now I need to look at, at, at why that is. It, you know, why why is it not a big deal for me? And that's when I started to go down the route of, but I've always felt like, oh, I'm attracted to guys and I'm not attracted to, to women. And and it, it really confused me for a long, long time. Like I'd say to you, oh, I am... Um, Thea would ask me all these questions she'd prod me she was like we've got to get to the bottom of this yeah and she'd say things like well you know um could you imagine being in a relationship with a woman and I'd go well I could imagine being in in a nice loving you know relate I could imagine living with a woman I could imagine cuddling up with her on the sofa and watching a film and telling her about my day
4: <laughs>
5: but I don't know if I can imagine having sex with a woman. I don't know whether I'm attracted that way. But then I'd find myself saying crazy things like, oh, but she's so beautiful. And look at how beautiful the feminine form is. It's, it's way nicer than the masculine form. You know, it's got all these <laughs> lovely curves. And I'm like, Whoa. well, you're talking to a lesbian, so you don't need to convince me. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> I love how there's so
1: much love there in this relationship. That's it. Point made.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. The main takeaway is just how supportive and loving this couple are. And I think that is so important for anyone in the in the LGBTQ plus community, but especially for the trans community to have that support around them. And it's just such a shame that we don't see more of that support.
1: Yeah. And you say we don't see much of that support. And Amanda's obviously saying there as well, that there isn't a lot of visibility for things, for stories like that, for experiences like that. But I think, you know, in a relationship at the end of the day, you are with someone for more than the way that they present, the way that they look, the clothes that they wear, the pronouns that they use. You fall in love with people for who they are, not not what they look like or that's what I think anyway. I d- I'm and... entirely
2: shallow, but uh, <laughs> you do you.
1: <laughs> that can only get you so far though, you that's know, true. you might... You might want to go on a first date because you think someone's fit. But the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, one year into a relationship, those things, you stay with that person because of who they are as a person, not because of what they look like. Because at that point, you've smelt their morning breath and you've (laughs) seen them before they've had a shower and you still want to hang around with them anyway. So on the one hand, it's kind of like, well, duh, obviously you love your partner for, for who they are and how they treat you and what the relationship is like between the two of you but on the other hand what amanda went through there was having to question her own sexuality and if your partner does transition while you're in a relationship i guess it can put an extra pressure on that relationship or on your own identity that you weren't prepared for and i think that can be quite tough to handle So we've spoken about dating and relationships and how these experiences might be different or more difficult for trans people. But there are lots of other day to day experiences which also might differ.
2: And I know it's a big jump from dating, but sports is another topic we've spoken about on the podcast before. And it's another topic which is discussed a lot in the media with relation to the trans community.
1: I'm so happy we get to talk about this because, as you know, I'm a huge football fan. We're going to hear now from football player Natalie Washington, who also heads up the Football Versus Transphobia campaign.
6: I put this clip in just for you, Shiv. Yeah, so the so the FA in England have a have a policy for for trans inclusion, um, which details you know, obviously different requirements for people of different genders. So for trans women, typically, as probably you might expect <laughs> these days, it's a little bit more stringent because people are more concerned if that's the right word, about trans women's participation in sport. Um, so for me, what that looked like in, in, in reality was I had to apply directly to the FA centrally for permission to play in the women's game. And that applies at all levels you know, from the elite right, right down to you know, park football. So I had to apply and then I had to give them permission to speak to my doctor to get a load of hormone test results, basically, which then had to come back at below a certain level of testosterone over the course of a year gosh Uh, and actually initially i had to make some changes to my medication to to push my testosterone level lower because the the required level is very low and then i had to wait a year to show test results at that level for a year so that's that's what took me 18 months Um, good
1: god i don't think people have any idea do they that the hoops that you've got to jump through
6: no exactly you know often this this issue is framed in kind of wider media or in society more generally, is kind of how people you hear the phrase "oh people wake up in the morning decide they're a woman and want to go and compete in women's sport," and of course, it my example shows it doesn't it really doesn't work like that.
2: I think the main thing that struck me about this clip, and it's very similar to the bathroom debate, which you were talking about from I think it was Jake Grass clip last week. This fear that that trans women are competing in sport unfairly, I think is. Largely unfounded within the vast majority of people who actually play sport, but it's completely blown out of proportion by the constant debate that's going on.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things that is just completely misunderstood. People don't wake up one day and say, I'm trans, I'm going to enter the Team GB for swimming and i'm gonna take all these medals away from all these incredible female athletes because these people are like professional athletes that's their whole thing that they train to do all the time the average cis man couldn't walk into a woman's um competition whatever sport it is and dominate because the vast majority of the population just simply aren't good enough um
2: and i also think that if you were a you know, if you were a professional athlete that decided to transition, a lot of that is about your own kind of status. So not that this would ever happen. But if you did do that, if you did decide I'm going to transition purely to win, there's no satisfaction there. So why would you why would you do it? It's it's just it's a completely ridiculous argument.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, athletes and, and competitors in sport obviously are in an element of being in that industry, in the sporting industry, is to win. But it's to win by competition. It's to win by being the best. And I don't think you would necessarily go through all of the social, medical, psychological procedures that it takes to transition, to transition to the degree where you could also compete in a different gendered category to the one that you were assigned at birth in order to just go and try and dominate, because that just doesn't happen. It wouldn't happen. There were all these medical things that I could get into about when you start to take estrogen, what it does to your muscle mass, what it does to all of uh, the different elements that sort of give quote unquote men an advantage over women. It's not worth transitioning just to do that because it's such a process and it's such a personal thing. And if you did transition just to do that, you would then experience lots of gender dysphoria because you are living in a gender that is not your own and you would understand what, how trans people feel if they're unable to transition.
2: No, exactly. And that's why listening to this clip, it's such a, it, it almost hits even harder, the process that Natalie had to go through. And, and, and taken, I must say, with such kind of calmness and good grace by Natalie, she spoke about it as if it wasn't, really distressing, which I think, it, I think it must have been. But the fact that she had to adjust her medication is just, abs- that's insane to me. It's affecting her actual physical health in order to be able to play football.
1: Yeah, it, it sounds like it's just a completely dehumanising process.
2: Yeah, and I mean, to have to wait 18 months in order to play as well. I mean, during the transition, football was probably one of the kind of stable, comforting things in her life. So taking that away from her is just doubly ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I, I play football for a team that is a uh, women's team and I'm binary inclusive and I know what sense of community and what sort of spirit that that has and being able to go, even if it's just once a week to training, like I'm injured at the moment and I'm still going to go to training just to be around these people because they're your community and it's a really fun space to be involved in and it's not even my livelihood it's not even my main thing I can't imagine if if someone said to me right now actually you know what you're non-binary so we're going to take radio away from you I don't know how I would cope with that
2: well it's interesting you should say that Shiv because we've talked about dating and relationships we've talked about football but in a minute we're going to make another u-turn to talk all about being trans in your career in the radio industry to be precise and very much in the public eye
1: and to help us i'm so excited to say that we're going to be chatting to the one the only stephanie hurst who is an absolute radio icon and a huge inspiration to me
2: absolutely she is ready and waiting and will be on the way right after your virgin radio pride weekly update with daryl Jackson.
7: Thank you. First this week, it's understood the government's landmark LGBT plus conference planned for June has been cancelled. There's been a backlash to the decision to exclude transgender people from a ban on conversion therapy, meaning around 100 groups had already dropped out of the event. Labour's called the cancellation a sickening waste. Well, the government's LGBT plus business champions resigned over the plans to exclude trans people from new laws banning conversion therapy. Legislation on it, expected in the Queen's speech next month, will only address the practice for gay and bisexual people. Ian Anderson says it's been the honour of his life to serve as the UK's first ever LGBT plus business champion. Speaking last March, the Prime Minister said this about conversion therapy. We are determined uh, to take further steps uh, to stamp it out. This Uh, practice is repulsive and abhorrent and has no place in our country. Speaking this week, the health secretary said we need to be more careful with trans issues following that decision by ministers to change plans to ban conversion therapy for trans people. Sajid Javid thinks a sensitive approach is required and highlighted cases of children who say they have gender dysphoria.
6: It is right for medical experts to be able to question that and to determine what the cause might be. Is it a genuine case of uh, gender identity dysphoria or could it be that that individual is suffering from some child sex abuse or could it be linked to bullying?
7: Other news this week, Caitlyn Jenner has joined Fox News as a contributor. The former Olympian and reality TV personality will offer commentary and analysis across the channel and its other platforms. Fox called her a trailblazer in the LGBTQ community. That's all for this week. I'll have more next week.
1: Thanks, Daryl. Now, we've spoken about some parts of day-to-day life which might be different or more difficult for members of the trans community. And of course, one place where it's really important to be able to be your true self is at work
2: but often this just doesn't feel possible.
1: Someone who's helping to change that, as well as providing some absolute bangers on the radio every Saturday night, is the lovely Stephanie Hurst.
2: She is one of the UK's biggest radio stars and she started her broadcast career at the age of just 12, Since then, she's spent 11 years hosting the biggest breakfast show outside of London and has also presented for BBC Breakfast, ITV's Lorraine, and many more.
1: Now she can add a Virgin Radio podcast appearance to that list because I'm delighted to say that she joins us right now. So, Steph, this week we're talking about lots of different aspects of life for members of the trans community. It probably makes sense to sort of start... At the beginning of your journey, you've spoken quite recently about the very early transition process when you couldn't really verbalize how you felt. What was that process of learning to do that, learning to vocalize those feelings? And is there anyone or anything in particular that helped you with that?
0: Um, there was a lady called Caroline Cosse, um, who, she was a Bond girl, a model, and she was outed by the news of the world in the early 80s. And I saw her on TV in the early 90s or something like that. And she, she used to, that was my only reference point that I had to be able to go, oh, I'm not alone. I I feel like that. And she started, she, she was doing lots of interviews because she was releasing a new book and everything. So that really helped me because that was my first kind of point of reference. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't Google anything. There was there was no way of finding any information out. I'd spoken to my mum and it had come up at school because, as I've mentioned in, in interviews before, the fact that, you know, they, even at three, four years old, maybe preschool, they'd say all the girls go to one side of the classroom, all the boys go to the other, and I just go and sit with the girls. It was my natural state of comfortableness, and then you know I pretty much learned that no, I have to go over there with the with the smelly boys, <laughs> and uh, not that they all smelled. they didn't at all. Um, yeah, it, it, it's so difficult to be able to verbalise this stuff, and there's a few there's a few key points that I remember in the fact that they tried to put me in a in a cowboy outfit. Um, when I was a child, and I wouldn't wear it for for love nor money, and I'd worked out that anything that was kind of girly, I couldn't have because i I that's something I was told I couldn't have, and I remember having I was in the school panto or something, and I'd wear a pair of green tights. You could not get these tights on me for love nor money. So it's weird you couldn't get me in the cowboy outfit. But then I'd worked out that, oh, I can't, I can't have anything that's feminine. I can't have anything and tights of a girl. So no, I can't, no, because I'd blocked it off in my mind. So you've got all this going on as a child, as a six-year-old. You know, it's really messing with your head. And then, yeah you know, I, then I discover music and music is this release. And it allows me to just get in my own little world. And it was music and, and radio subsequently that, that I guess helped me get through. So that was the, it was so difficult as a child to verbalise yourself um, or see any key problems. My mum, she got, she, as I mentioned, for fear of appeasing myself, there was no Google. She had nowhere to go with this. So she did, I'm guessing what a lot of parents of my generation did, stick it under the carpet, bury it. It'll go away. It doesn't.
1: Yeah. And I think like verbalising those feelings as well, as as an adult, it's quite hard. You know, I, I came out as non-binary fairly recently and it was really hard to to say it out loud you I I sort of felt myself getting choked up and trying to explain why I felt how I felt and why these pronouns suit me better than those pronouns it's really hard to articulate and doing that as a child is basically impossible
0: it is difficult because you you you're still trying to work out who you are, I guess, really, aren't you, as a, as a child? You know, there's lots of things I mean, that.
1: Even as an adult, Steph, even as even an adult. As an adult yeah, exactly. Out, yeah.
0: There's the whole thing, you want to be sorted by 30. You're never sorted in life. And that's the whole <laughs> thing about life is, and, and that, I've turned all that into a positive, you know, the fact that you never sorted because that's the fun of life. That is the joy of life. You don't know what's around the corner. It could be something absolutely amazing, but then it could be something that's, you know, it's not particularly great. But that's the yin and the yang in life. You've got to have the good and the bad. Because if everything was amazing, you wouldn't appreciate it. It would just be amazing. So I think we've got to... There's always got to be a bit of, you know, good and bad. Preferably, let's have lots of good, please. And only a tiny bit of bad if we have to have it.
2: And one of those good things that you... Spoke about Steph as as kind of a savior, and I know you've spoken about this a lot before. Is radio, is music, and 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 you you built up this incredible career um, before your the, the time you transitioned. You know when when that time happened, you were absolutely at the top of your game. Did it feel like you had to kind of put that on the line in order to transition and to be your true self?
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. I was bloated constantly from worry. Um, worry affects people in lots of different ways. It goes straight to my gut. And I remember just not being able to fit in my clothes because I was really, I was just worried um, constantly about what is going to happen to me. But I figured that if I have to lose my career to be, because this is the dichotomy, isn't it? Having to give up the thing that you love the most to be happy. <laughs> and I was grappling with that for decades, but I could. And a, and a really good friend of mine who transitioned um, about a decade before I did said something to me and it stopped me in my tracks. And she said, um, You have to be prepared to lose everything. And even saying that now, I find difficult because that rang around and around and around in my head for years after she'd said it, because she did indeed lose everything. And you shouldn't have to lose everything. If you transition, this is clearly a good thing. You know, if you, you know, if you're coming out or whatever. This is, this is, this is celebration time. This is good. This is where the good stuff starts. And we need to start to get into that mindset of this is good, right? Yeah, there's, there's been, you know, because when you're dealing with something internal, whether it's sexuality or gender-based or whatever, you know, the knock-on effects with mental health is, is, you know, it has a massive effect to your mental health. But if you are, if you are then truly authentic, well, You can operate as a human being much better. Your capability mentally, you can take on much more because you've not got this huge part of your brain, which has been taken up by this constant worry and this constant confusion you have in your mind. Well, how about just focusing on all the good stuff and, and what you're good at and, you know, being the best version of yourself? This is surely a celebration. So why can't we start to look at it that way? Instead of, I remember when I first came out, I got lots of the 30 degree head tilt of sympathy, which no, don't, no, no, this is good. This is celebration. I can I can, I can can finally be me. And that's one thing I want to do with everything that I've been through is turn it on its head. I was like, I am never being a victim, ever. I'm not a victim. You know, I transitioned. I've got a trans history. I'm not really keen of being, this is personally to me, I'm not really keen of having a, trans tag because you get put in a box and none of us want to be put in a box you know and have things define us um no matter what what happens in life you know whether you're you know whether you lose a limb or something or whether you're disabled you don't want the tag disabled you're just you
1: yeah you're still you're still the person that you've always exactly yeah you know (laughs) yeah i think you know those feelings of at that time feeling like you had to put everything on the line um people might people will have different attitudes saying that that's an internal thing it might be an imposter syndrome type of thing or there might be you know some very real basis as to why you feel like that um and then you, you came out and and you were very public about uh being trans at the time and was that was really groundbreaking because for a lot of people that would be the first time they would have heard of a trans person or or even heard the word trans and then you you sort of had to come you were coming back to work you were I guess you know trying to get on with the job the thing that you do so well what was that like after your transition in terms of all of those feelings of oh no have I just lost my career in in coming out was there any basis in that did you feel like that there was you know foundation to why you were so
0: concerned i felt when i i came off in the june i announced it in the october on five live and the interview that i did with stephen nolan was was, the impact it had was so huge and the outpouring of love and everything that, that came with it. They actually rerun the interview again in its entirety the next evening, again. Um, which was, I think for me, was, wow, gosh, okay. I think everything might be okay. And then the phone didn't ring. And um, it finally rang with a lady uh, from the BBC in Manchester um, called Kate Squire. Who I at the start of everything, when to get everything back, she 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 put me back on the air, and I I've always said she single handedly saved my career. There's, yeah, there is lots of other people involved in in saving my career, but she was the one that put me on. She was the one that went, you know, I know you are good at what you do. You just need to find yourself again. And she gave me this arena on a Saturday evening. There weren't huge audiences, and I got back on the air and what should have been a time of celebration was a time of absolute horror and dread because i was like a injured athlete i couldn't do it what i didn't take into consideration was you can make yourself physically the best version what people see but actually the way us women verbalize things the way our vocabulary the way we form words our choice of words, where we enunciate and pronunciate. And bear in mind that I'm dealing in the world of radio, so it's audio-based. So people make a decision on your gender based on what they hear a lot of the time. You know, that can, which needs to change, I think. You know, you can't just make a decision on what's on, on what you hear. But you've got to remember, this is 2014. So we were in a slightly different time. Or oh, maybe 2015. So I get on the air and I'm instantly like, I just hear what I used to sound like. And I'm like, Right, this is not good, and I think I called a caller once. I went, "Thanks for calling, pal," and I, uh, I, you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say that now. So I remember driving home from doing the Saturday night show, and I'd listen to it in the car on the way home. And sometimes I couldn't see the road in front of me for tears because I was heartbroken in what I was hearing. I couldn't. This was it was appalling. So I used to, then when you speak on the radio between two songs or two items or whatever, it's called a link. And you both know that, of course, because you work in radio. (laughs) But listeners may not. You're linking things together. Uh, So I would listen back to, I don't know, four or five links or something. And I would write them all out on a piece of paper on a Sunday afternoon, listening back to the previous night's show. And I'd look at the choice of words. I'd look at how I form the words what words I chose, how I use them. And then with a speech therapist, we went through them and I would do them again and again and again and again until I I learned and that started to become, you know, second nature to me. And then vocally, m- my voice plateaued. It just, it, it kind of, it wasn't right. And because I'm a perfectionist, if you're going to do something, you've got to do it right. <laughs> So I got to a point where I was like, this is just, it's not sounding how I want it to sound. So I, I looked into vocal surgery and I went to Korea um, and had my vocal cords tightened. I'd had an injury as well. I'd got, I, I It's a long story, but I'd shouted Gareth Gates really loud. at a big party in the park and he was headlining and I'd been on stage for five hours shouting at 70,000 people. And I, as I shouted on the gates, something went twang vocally and it hurt and I damaged something. So there was an old injury that was preventing me. Anyway, after that, then I had to go through a I couldn't speak for a month, vocal rehabilitation. But I've ended up here. And I'm quite it's all right. I'm quite I'm at peace with it. So that was I mean, my journey for for getting where I've I've kind of got.
1: It's been it's been a journey. And um you have a, a motto, believe, achieve. Where did that come from and, and what does that mean to you now?
0: Um, Believe Achieve got me through childhood. Well, I say childhood. 14, I reckon I saw it in a book at school. I used to stay behind. I got bullied quite a lot. So I'd stay behind and I'd read in the library for like 10, 15 minutes till all of the bullies left the front gates of the school. Because I only live around the corner. So I could literally scoot out of school and get around the corner. And um, I was reading this book one day. It just had these two words in Believe Achieve. And I used to chant this to myself because all I wanted to do was be on the radio. All I wanted to do was work on my local radio station in Leeds called Radio Air. I just wanted to work there. That was it. And I used to chant to myself. And I was already working there. I was already making tea for DJs. But I wanted to be on the air. So I used to chant to myself, Believe Achieve, Believe Achieve, whilst on the Believe pointing, uh, tapping my forehead on the Believe and pointing on the Achieve. Believe, achieve, believe, achieve. And I, I managed to get on the air at 16. And, you know, that's another story in itself. Um, and everything was great. And then my career kind of took off. And I stopped saying it because the career is, it's happening, you know. I'm you, getting, you've achieved. You I've, were, I've, I've, I've achieved, you wanted, yeah. yeah. So you stopped saying it. And probably for 10, 15 years, I stopped saying it, maybe a bit longer. And then I lose everything. And then one day I just started going, come on, believe, achieve. Out of nowhere, I just started saying believe, achieve to myself. And it's the it's the power of manifestation, isn't it? You know, it's it's you manifest whatever you think, your thoughts, you manifest them. So if you're thinking of negative things, usually bad things happen. But if you think positively, usually good stuff happens. So I st- constantly chanted believe, achieve to myself. And then out of that, I started doing public speaking. And out of that, i formed a business, which is Believe Achieve. So I um, go to workplaces, um, work with big companies. I was at BT the other week speaking for them. I, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place Um Giving my talk, which is an hour long. If you would like to book it, pop to my website stephaniehurst.co.uk, and I'll happily come and speak for you. Um, but it's, it works on this—you know—the believe achieve thing works on 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 several levels. Yes, it's my personal story, but also it's the fact that if you do believe it, you can achieve it. Because there's not just this story of of transitioning and losing everything. There's the there's the story of finding this thing called radio. I'm from a working class. I'm from a council estate in Barnsley, right. And I wasn't meant to go and work in the world of show business and entertainment. I was meant to go get a job in a factory. My mum worked in a factory making bulbs. My dad was a TV engineer who fixed TVs. You know, it was something like that. So for me, it was, you know, going to work in my local radio station was the careers advisor was, that wasn't on the list. You know, it was, it was going to get a job, manual work somewhere or doing something. So for me, it was, you know, I had to believe and I had to achieve because there was no other option. I wanted to be on the radio and no one was stopping me and no one was stopping me getting my career back at all. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast.
2: Thank you so much to Steph for coming to chat to us. How good was she? And if you want to find out more about Steph and about Believe Achieve, you can find her on Instagram at stephanie.hurst or you can visit her website which is www.stephaniehurst.co.uk i think as she said she's she's a pro
1: she's a pro she's amazing she's an inspiration <laughs> an icon another word that starts with i that i can't uh, think of right now yes yeah she's 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 incredible there you go. inspiration icon incredible there, you there go. we are um it's fantastic getting to chat to her. But sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. But don't worry, myself and Alex will be back next week with a brand new discussion and some more clips.
2: If you would like to get in touch with us before then about anything we've spoken about this week, you can email us on pridecast at virginradio.co.uk.
1: You can also send your fan mail to Felix, making his cameo on the podcast there as well. Thank you very much. And you can tweet us at Virgin Radio UK, remembering to use hashtag Virgin Radio pridecast
2: See you next week.
1: Well, they won't be seeing you.
2: True.